0: To me, the X-Men became about, it was actually about adults versus children. Because I felt that the whole thrust of the X-Men was actually about the generational thing, that people dislike their children, because new ways of looking at things, and adults kind of don't like that because it's threatening to them. So I saw the X-Men as being about that, and basically that's where we took it, in that direction. Basically about the war between adults and youth. I don't oh, don't look at me. I'm looking at you. You got yourself into that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you for validation, stuff. <laughs> it's all I want. <laughs>
1: Welcome to E for Evolution, examining Grant Morrison's X-Men. We are your hosts. I'm Perry. This is Pat, and I'm Oscar. <laughs> After a bunch of technical difficulties, we're finally uh, we're finally rolling now. How are
2: you guys doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Pretty good. Uh, I'm all right.
1: All right. So today we're starting. Um, this is the beginning of the Imperial Trade paperback. This is New X-Men number one eighteen. Uh, part one of Germ Free Generation and written by Grant Morrison. Uh, Ethan Van Sciver is filling in on pencils again. Prentice Rollins with Hannah and Lorea, I think that is, on inks. Craft is doing the letters. Hi Fi Designs doing the colors. Pete Franco's assistant editor. Mark Powers, the editor. Joe Kasada, editor in chief, and Bill Jemis, president. So, uh, what do you guys think of? 118, first part of germ free generation.
2: I loved it. And the thing that I love about it is the opening, the opening pages for me are the best part of this this issue.
3: I I'm I really agree. excited to talk about it. Like I I think Vince Skyver's art was at its best in this installment in those first three pages. And I think we all, we are, we talked about it past installments about sort of Morrison giving that first page sort of a like a splash grabbing moment. And I think this may be one of the best ones in the run where you mm-hmm. see that perspective from the person who just got shot and it's sort of this big shot of his hand, like, reaching towards the assailant. Um, it, I really like the choices made in that shot It it's it makes her very compelling opening to the issue.
1: Yeah, I agree. This, the the dynamic pose really gets you the feel Mm -hmm. of being that guy who just got shot. Um, And, and just that, and again, that, like you guys had said in the past, that first page punchy dialogue, right. We're just, Mm -hmm. so anybody else want to sneer at my comic book collection.
3: And, and I think this may be an artifact of the the coloring remastering for the digital edition, but I'm just noticing that that dude is wearing a Magneto shirt, which I did not realize before.
1: Oh, you're right. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't never notice that until just now. Mm -hmm. Because they do mention in this issue. In fact, I think this is the first time that there's this mention of Magneto ending up on t-shirts.
3: Right, right.
1: So yeah i never I never noticed that before. Um, before we jump into this, I did want to kind of contrast the, the the this kind of opening and, and this issue overall with with the cover. And so this is a it's another quietly cover. Um, this one just a just a simple pose of Cyclops, where it's just this this was kind of a trend that was going on at Marvel at the time and um, especially in, in this book where you would have the cover image would not really be reflective of what was happening inside the issue. You just get like these poses of of characters.
2: Like poster covers, basically. Yeah, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, I like the cover. I like the single background there. I think the color really pops, but I like my man Cyclops. He's, he's looking totally boss on that cover. I do
1: like the art. I'm not, uh, I do like that. Um, I do like the way he draws Cyclops here. And as I've mentioned before, I do like that he draws him um, not as a bodybuilder, like a lot of people have been doing since the nineties, but, um, I, I just feel like I, I this is looking back on it. I didn't, I was not real. I'm not really a fan of this trend of covers that don't really reflect what's happening on the inside.
3: I don't know, I guess I'm kind of two minds about it. Like on the one hand, I can kind of see the appeal and utility of having a cover function as sort of like a nice enticement foreshadowing like draw into the story but on the other like i think freeing up the artist to just come up with a cool like punchy image to put on the front page without having to be beholden to what's happening inside has i mean has produced some pretty cool covers too It has it, so that
1: is true that is true it has I'm kind of ambiguous
3: about it I guess is what I'm saying <laughs> yeah.
1: That that's a good point though there have been some really good um uh, really dynamic uh art that's been produced as a result of this um this kind of trend that was going on at the time um so yeah I I do agree that the the covers look great um I just I I wish they would produce these as posters instead. And have yeah, the covers of something else.
2: I'm I'm firmly in the middle between both of you. I, I see that it's annoying. Like when you pick up that book, you look at the cover, it tells you nothing about the story. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were to just show it to me before I'd read it, the issue again, I wouldn't be able to tell you what story arc it relates to. That's annoying. I think that maybe there should be a little bit more something to do with the story but they look so cool Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he looks so cool it's hard to be mad about it i think
1: what i think a nice middle ground would have been um whatever character is the is like the focus of that issue or has like the most to do would be the the subject of the cover and like for example the um, 116 Emma was on the cover of that and we talked about that cover and she's very much a very big focal point character in that issue yeah. um, uh, the last one we had uh, we had Beast which was hint which is a little bit more of a kind of a it's kind of finding a way between these two because it does hint a little bit at the ins- of what the story's about but at the same time it is it's also reflective it's that poster style but it's also a little bit it has focuses on the main character there so I think in this issue, I would have preferred if we had seen um, Gene on the cover. I think would have been much a much better choice.
3: Or maybe even Sublime. I thought might. Yeah, be that's an a good option point too. too. Like now I'm thinking, maybe him surrounded by his U-men mm-hmm. would have made for an interesting image.
2: So um, we, I want to talk just to, just to go back to the the the, the one-two punch of this opening because sure. uh, this is different to all of the other one-two punches where I feel like instead of it just being just the one page, it actually goes for the whole three pages. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Morrison is breaking the fourth wall a little bit with this this character who's holding up the school assembly. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the connection to it in that it's almost speaking, he's almost in a way representing the comic book reader. Yeah anybody else want to sneer at my comic book collection and anybody else want to call me a geek and mocking me about my anime, anime and my DVDs, that's something that the reader can all connect to pretty much straight away. If you're reading comic books as a kid, you definitely can connect to that. And I like that it then leads to the you men You know, he's mm-hmm. like, well, come, in, you're obsessed with mutant culture. I know I'm obsessed with mutant culture, but uh, it made the, the, the antagonist somewhat relatable and I feel like even the character is speaking directly to the audience like face on he's speaking to us
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what do you guys think about that I agree I think um I think that this is definitely uh reflective of that whole and it's you know it's this is kind of it's kind of doing two things at once on the one hand it's kind of reflective of that that idea that was happening back then in like the post-Columbine era with, um, you know, the the picked upon, the the story was the picked upon kids fighting back type of thing, right? That was like kind of like the the thing about, even though it turns out that those guys were actually bullies themselves, that's a different story. But that was kind of like the media narrative that was being played at the time, right? The outcasts are the ones that are dangerous type of thing. And, and but it, at the same time, it is also kind of to what's happening now right this whole idea of of uncool is the new cool and you kind of see that with you know superhero movies being the biggest the biggest thing around any uh out there right now and um video games and all that kind of stuff like all this stuff that used to be anime you know all this stuff that people used to do and not tell any of their friends about it's now mainstream um so there's a little bit of that it's a little bit um predicting the future in a way and also in a weird way too it's this kind of almost the resentment that they're now the cool thing which you see a lot in like the, the comics gate thing or the or the um the GamerGate stuff with like these you know this kind of this almost like violent reaction as well
3: yeah like I. I guess that's the thread of it that I kind of picked up on where it seems like Morrison is depicting an incel. I think mm-hmm. before there was, there was even a, such a thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
3: Called an incel. Um, what's interesting to me about this, this unnamed character in the beginning is he's, he's showing a lot of resentment. He's shoring a lot of sort of violent defensiveness right against people whom uh, may be attacking him for these interests maybe not we don't know right Mm -hmm. because all we're getting is his perspective on the story um there's also this short of resentment which seems to me Morrison seems to be trying to say that that's a little bit problematic because no one is saying it's not cool or no one is saying that that's the thing that you need to be little defensive about. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think his whole project with this, with this run is he's coming at it from this point of view where the X-Men are not insular. They're actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's what the, what that's what the whole project is about, right. Is to assume that they are already cool and it's not this sort of insular, you know, type of a thing that this character is talking about.
1: Yeah. And it's also, uh, it's, and going back, and because what we mentioned about Skyver and his involvement in, in stage stuff, it's kind of ironic that he's the one who's depicting
3: these pages. <laughs> like, okay. Or even X-Men in general. Like, yeah,
2: true. Yeah. It sounds like he has a political view that's the antithesis of the X-Men. Yeah. Although,
3: to, to be fair, though, I, I think that was, a, that was a development that occurred well after he did his stint on this title. So, yeah, he I mean, had def- not to say that he wasn't like that before, but at least he wasn't as vocal about it.
1: He had he had he'd had, had a definite evolution or, or devolution, I guess, would probably be a better word. For <laughs> oh. it. Um, but he because he had been conservative and, and all that, um, just like Chuck Dixon had been as well. But then in like the Trump era, he had taken it to extremes. So he had never been as bad as he is now. He had gotten worse over time.
2: That's sort of uh, what's happening with the whole country over there, right? Pretty much, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but anyway, uh, I do like this this one panel here where he's holding up the the eyeball up in the place of his eye. I thought that was a really good uh, that was a really striking mm-hmm. image there.
3: And that whole sequence was was just very well done. And yeah. sort of the next panel depicting movement, the ice falling down, him falling down. Um, it, it was just a very well done sequence.
1: And plus the, yep. the whole idea of like the third species, this, this book acting as it's almost in a way kind of like, you know, the Turner Diaries or, or other, or Protocols of the Elders of Zion or other similar type of books that have spurred people on to this kind of like violent reactionary type of thing.
3: Mm-hmm. And of course, later on Sublime, <laughs> it's not my fault, like, mm-hmm. which I always kind of like, I mean, okay, maybe, but I think there's there's something to be said about taking responsibility for what you put out in the world. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Not so much, like, I don't think that means you have to take ownership of it, but maybe just to acknowledge that, like, this is doing something to people. Like, mm-hmm. when they read, you know, it's doing something to them, right? Like when they storm the Capitol.
2: Exactly, yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
3: We're just doing all kinds of connections right now. It's very cool. <laughs> you know?
2: Well, it's it says something that these things are still so relevant now, mm-hmm. even though Morrison wrote it twenty years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's that's one of the the things about Morrison's work is they tend to be very prescient. Like they've always kind of had their pulse on what's happening in society in a very in a very revealing way. Right. Mm-hmm. Morrison's always been able to kind of prophesize things like i mean you read the invisibles and that was the matrix before the matrix
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, i do love this uh this splash page the credits page here and i like this um the the team gathered together and you know we've got it also i noticed this here you know we got xavier here but he's in he's in the background and he's heavily in shadow implying that this is not xavier this is you know reminding us that cassandra's actually in charge um, and I also like kind of this fisheye effect that they did for, for the splash page.
2: I really like the splash page. I was I had a real aversion to it when I was first reading it, but upon rereading it now, I appreciate it. It's like I, a TV show when you've got the the title credits coming on after the first mm-hmm. initial scene. And uh, I like it. And I think it goes to what his um, plan was in terms of widescreen, cinematic, um, making it almost like a moving picture
3: Mm -hmm. instead of a book. And he's such a minor part of it, but I think the placement of uh, Charles is my favorite part of the image because it speaks so much of the story and also like the duality of, I mean, the choices made is, probably to indicate that Cassandra's in charge, but it could easily still be charged in that position, which sort of links to to the duality of them being like, perhaps not being as distinct or separate as we'd like to think.
1: And also, I know I mentioned this before, but I really like this look for Emma more than the than the other design that Lee had done, the one that we, we've talked about before. I like the I like the trench coat. It kind of gives it's evocative of the cape she used to wear as the white queen. Um, it's still sexy but it 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 seems a bit more functional than the than the than the other outfit.
2: I agree. Just- I, I I like both of them though. I like the absurdity of the other one and I like that this one looks a little bit more functional. It sort of fits in with the um the whole idea of that they're not wearing spandex and crazy costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like the fact that Emma refuses to wear the uniform. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I mean, going along with I I just I, I always like it when they make the choice to give her a rotating wardrobe because like of all these characters, she would be the one to well, I they're all fairly wealthy, I suppose, because everyone gets a black faculty member credit card. <laughs> Um, I mean, but she would be the one who would put in an effort to not recycle the same uniform every time.
1: Yeah. And it also it helps differentiate her as well. You know, Mm -hmm. it shows her as being kind of like separate from the rest of the X-Men, but in a way, in a way, still apart. Like still, that's why Mm -hmm. the like the X designs the subtly here and there. Uh now these um this page here of Jean doing the going through the um the reporters' minds. I really like this this first page where she's in the reporters' brains and she sees the female reporter imagining her co-host getting shot, <laughs> and the male reporter imagining some woman milking a cow for some bizarre reason.
2: <laughs> mm. It's it's, it's a perfect image of what they probably are thinking. She's thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, I just want to kill him. Mm -hmm. And he's just this um, misogynistic pig.
1: Yeah. I also Um, do like, oh, sorry, go
0: ahead, Pat.
3: um, I like it It evokes the previous depiction of Charles doing the Cerebra thing, but, of course, it, it they give it a, a, a different remix because it's Gene using it now, but I like how it sort of evokes that same effect. So Yeah, that
1: that's right. It, there's a
3: consistency and uniformity to it.
1: You're right. I didn't pick up on that before, but when Charles used it, it was, it was blue. And now when Jean's mm-hmm. using it, it's, it's this purplish pink color.
2: Pink.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's also the introduction to No Girl with um, Martha Johansson. huh mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I was thinking before last issue, we were talking about, we saw the introduction of Beak and in the background, we saw the introduction of um, Glob. And now we have the introduction of No Girl. All of these characters are still being used. Was it No Girl separate from Martha Johansson?
3: Um, no, Martha, I, Martha Johansson is No Girl. He's No I Girl. Always,
1: I always thought the whole joke was that No Girl is never, you don't even know if No Girl actually exists.
3: Oh wait, no, you're right. Because and then Martha Johansson is you're the right. brain. Right, you're right. But they call the
2: brain no girl now. They do. Def, I'm I'm sure of that. Do and the, one of the one of the more recent issues of um the New Mutants, she talks about how she's so offended that they call her no girl and they're teasing her that she doesn't have a body just with the name no girl and that she's a brain in the jar and no one's helped her. Well,
1: that's that's a that's a misreading of
2: because yeah I remember because like if you remember in the we're jumping
1: ahead. But when Zorn's taking attendance, you
3: know, Martha's there in
1: the brain. And then, um, and what's his name? The, I can't remember the guy's name, but he says, you forgot, no girl, just because you can't see her doesn't mean
2: she's not, she's not here. It's like they're teasing Zorn there. Right, we'll, have to go, yeah. we'll have to reread it as I get back to it, but I'm definitely I'll, a bit of homework for me. I'll find out what the New Mutants issue is to, to pass it on to you guys. It's, so you can... Isn't that
3: interesting? Like, what do they call that? Is it the Mandela effect where where, where there's a yes. thing that's yeah. not real? And then, because you're right, like, I think they're supposed to be distinct because there is that floating brain character, but then there was this other thing in in that arc where it became a running gag that mm-hmm. there's just person called no girl and everyone is reacting to her and they're all in on the joke but is it a joke um but uh, from oscar i also believe you because i do think you're right like they refer to the to the brain character as no girl so there's some kind of weird editorial mishap that i guess we just bought into and are now accepting as the reality well if you remember in um,
1: if you remember in uh after morrison's run chuck austin came in to do a two-parter and he said mm-hmm. that he had this scene with um them discovering that cassandra nova had escaped from her cell even though she right. had never been in a cell she was put in an in the in
3: a, in a box
1: in, in a new body she was put in the yeah. body of, of stuff and then mm-hmm. made to think she was ernst
3: right right
1: and then later people had forgotten about that and i think they made ernst a different character as well and mm-hmm. you know obviously the whole zorn stuff too that's
2: we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah um the the point is there's so many little background characters like the this run is so rich Mm -hmm. that the background characters are still being used now Yeah.
3: yeah i mean speaking of first appearances i believe this is also the first time we see the stepford cuckoos as well yes
1: yeah this is i think we may have seen them in the background or something but this is the first time we actually see them really mm-hmm. they become like some they play some minor role in the story i also like you know going back to the comparison between gene and charles i like how you know when you know charles is in cerebro it's his focus is 100 percent on that gene's in cerebro you know her legs are crossed she's eating chips as she's doing yeah, it, just like she's watching tv <laughs>
3: mm-hmm well, and and Charles had a more, at least when we saw him using it, it was a very macro view, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's looking at the whole world. Oh, look, there's all these mutants popping up. But Gene is like, sort of hyper focus on these reporters. Yeah. And what they're thinking.
1: I also do love the fact that she spent so much time in the reporter's brain that he, she's even talking like them at the end. Like this is Gene Gray at the Xavier Institute.
2: Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys, do you guys know much about the uh, hidden messages within the art of this issue?
3: Yeah, yeah. He put sex on one of the panels. Yeah, apparently yes. it's on, he
2: tried to do it on every
3: mm-hmm. page.
2: So it's on more than just one of the panels. But mm-hmm. I like that. I think that's quite a like a fun little uh, tidbit that people should think of mm-hmm. when they're reading it.
3: Some subliminal so, thing, perhaps? Like as if, it,
2: it as is if a we needed bit that... <laughs> If you look on when she's in Cerebra um, mm-hmm. and her head's over the top of it, all the little thought bubbles, in the bottom left-hand corner, it comes out, and sort of you can make the S, the E, and then a little bit of the X. Apparently, editorial court. some uh, of them. But, ah. not, but not all of them. So there is definitely some on every page. Hmm. Some that got Oh, I see. Yeah, here, here's
1: here's the S, here's the E. Yeah.
3: Interesting yeah i i
1: remember that i remember them talking about it i completely forgotten about that, that but now that you mentioned that it, it's a fun them.
2: little um little thing to do while you're looking through the the issue i think did you guys uh you
1: know kind of a tangent do you guys remember the original cover of uh the little mermaid
3: little mermaid the, is that with the, the penis that's on exactly the castle? penis
1: castle in the background oh
2: yeah. <laughs> so good <laughs> Uh, it's a really cool thing to do if you want to be like fuck you to your boss mm-hmm. and never never work again because if it actually gets through then uh you know you're done for but it's also pretty cool
1: if, if it's never discovered yeah yeah and in, in later versions of that they did eliminate that because people yes. had to talk about it so much so mm-hmm. funny uh all right so then we get um we get logan here i love this close-up of logan on the bike here like i, I just love the way that VanSkyver drew through his features and, and the wind blowing through his hair hairier.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And also the, the juxtaposition of, of him riding as, as Gene's head is right over there, communicating with him telepathically. Again, a nice way of reinterpreting telepathy as opposed to the usual just having thought bubbles floating around.
2: Mm-hmm. I agree. He, do, he does the telepathic communication um, depiction in a, in a new way that's really cool and easy to get
0: yeah
2: and here we have sorry go ahead no you go ahead
1: no i was just going to move on to talking about the the cuckoos and and this
2: protest scene so you that's exactly what i was going to talk about. oh okay all right great (laughs) yeah how did what did you guys think about the um the impromptu press conference and uh discussion with the media i thought it was great i thought
1: um Gene did a really good job of, you know, laying this all out there and and, you know, kind of like confronting the absurdity of their arguments, saying, like, you know, what do you mean go home? I've lived here my entire life, basically.
3: Um, Yeah, and I, and I thought it was also a very cool way to work in and reinforce the pivot that Morrison was trying to do, sort of like shifting the focus from superheroics to them being like an educational rescue type operation Mm -hmm. right and so it's a cool organic way to restate and establish the status quo like in the context of a scene where gene has to explain that to these protesters and to the audience too
2: yeah it's the first time they um they describe themselves as a volunteer rescue and emergency Mm -hmm. organization Mm -hmm. rather than Mm -hmm. some kind of paramilitary operation, Mm -hmm. um, which I think was cool, but I also love that it's like a discussion with the media that brings it back to what what I was saying when we first sort of started talking about the new X-Men was that it really grounded it in reality. You know, if there wasn't the X-Men and there was a mutant school in New York, there would be media camped outside the front wanting to get a soundbite from them. And they would have to have media training and, and talk to the press. Uh
1: Yeah. I also really like, um, this, this line here about, um, well, first off the, the, the fact your bodies are lethal weapons. That is a, that is a really good point that I think gets overlooked in a lot of discussion about mutant registration is, you know, on the one hand, yeah, I, I love the X-Men. I love the, the metaphor, but on the other hand, if my neighbor could blow me up by looking, I kind of want to know about that.
2: For sure. (laughs) That's what makes the, um, I think that needs to be explored a little bit more, to be honest. I think uh, it's always put as a one-sided argument, but that's what makes for a really compelling story, when you can see both sides of the argument. It's not just like everyone's on one side. Well, there is a really good, compelling argument. Um, I think in the X-Men film, they mentioned, like, what if someone could just walk through the walls into a bank and take out everything that was in your safety deposit box you know you, you, we need to know what these people can do so that we can protect ourselves they're not all going to be nice um that, that that's a something that needs to be pushed more that lethal body is a weapon on a little sidebar i like when they're having that press conference if you look just above gene's head we get the word sex again oh yeah very
1: mm-hmm. very nice way. the two different signs uh also um i like this this line um you know what kind of teachers were leather and high and kevlar and high impact polyester you'd be surprised (laughs)
3: um yeah i guess i i want to go back to that notion of the lethal weapon thing too because like so in the movie i think gene's response to that was to the effect of like I mean, yes. In fact, like we, we're dangerous and we're powerful and we can hurt you, but somebody with a gun can do that as well.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but they license
3: guns. That's right, true. She, she
1: uses um, she uses cars because
3: cars, right? She
1: got, yeah, she because he says, well, we license people to drive," and she says, "Yes, but not to live."
3: Right, and so I guess what I like I would just say that, like, well, I, I think there's something to be said about putting things in place so that people can protect themselves. I, I don't think it's, there's always like this tendency, I think, to politicize these things in a way that isn't really about that.
1: Right. Yeah. And in fact, I think that actually would be an interesting way to explore it is instead of is explore the metaphor of mutant powers in line with like, gun registration or something like that. I think that would be a really interesting way to, that'd, that'd make for an interesting story. To
2: Do you think this has been explored in the, the first Civil War crossover? Somewhat? Kind
1: of, but it was done in a, like everything about that was just very hand fisted so.
3: I, that True. was the exact description I was going to use. Um, <laughs> Because it's a Mark Millar comic,
1: mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, and also, we had another reference to um, uh, Eve of Destruction here, right? Genocian mutants tried to start a war with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, those these just little no, these little nods to classic continuity, which you know everybody, all the detractors at the time said Morrison did never paid attention to any other X Men comics, but clearly he did if you just read between the lines.
2: Yeah, and it's, it doesn't. We don't need to go into. Um, the eve of destruction and, and, and all the background of genosha all you need right. to know is there were some mutants that, that attacked people that's all we need to know
3: and i
1: also um, love emma's unorthodox teaching style right <laughs> learning yes. how to um
3: implant. how to implant
1: erotic images
3: <laughs> which she does a demonstration right there mm-hmm. for for her students um i i also like how there's just this subt- not so subtle but there's just this human truck parked outside yeah. <laughs> that no one notices and comments on but it's a nice way to sort of establish like hmm there's something going on here with these human um and i also like how gene in the next sequence sort of expresses some doubt about well i wouldn't have done what emma did but maybe i would have I- it's this nice little like, um, sort of back and forth between them,
1: right? Yeah, she well, she yeah, she says she's like I wanted to do that, but you know it was wrong. And then she's questioned like, well, it? wasn't it? Because was, she didn't hurt them, right? I mean, if anything, right? she gave them the best orgasm <laughs> they ever had.
2: Indeed, <laughs> It was a and big I, in, a big push with the um, the sex in the comics as well, right? right. It's the first mm-hmm. time that we had used. Well, I had seen them use telepathy to opponent by making them all have a big spontaneous orgasm in front of each other out in public that's um
3: that's pretty raunchy is yeah this, is this maybe like the first sort of mainstream superhero book that actually depicted an orgasm i mean that list would be very low i feel probably like. yeah i imagine so <laughs> i imagine so at
1: least this, at least when you're talking about the the mainstream marvel and dc stuff like we right, get into right. of course get into some of the max or the vertigo stuff that's a different story mm-hmm. but but yeah yeah um and and also i love this line too that they'll they'll wake up feeling utterly ashamed of themselves so,
3: yeah
2: <laughs> it's good so we it, need to see more of it more orgasms in comics please more orgasms yes. in comics <laughs> yes
3: um oh and, and see it, it I, and I like this, they're maintaining the rules here because she had to be not in diamond form to do that. Yeah. Which yeah. they've started playing fast and loose with later on.
1: Yeah. This issue uh, I, was
3: also... Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No,
2: you go ahead.
1: I was just going to mention about the the this scene here where, where Beast is kind of unconsciously drawing the X on the sheets. I really like the how they work that in there.
3: Is he? I never know. I did yeah. not realize that. Oh, right there. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. All right. I
2: like this scene is sort of the introduction as well to um, that they're all having flu symptoms, but more, more mm-hmm. so Magneto was right. Mm-hmm. Iconography and they're talking about Magneto on lunchboxes. And uh, I think that's a nice little, uh, it, it, it's talking about counterculture. And it reminded me of Kurt Cobain Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Nirvana being on the cover of the Rolling Stone magazines wearing a shirt saying corporate magazines still suck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and Uh Magneto on Lunchboxes, who would have thought? But then with the grunge movement where the alternative became the mainstream, that's mirrored here, right? Well, also it's this especially, like the design they use for the Magneto shirts, uh, especially, I'm not
1: so sure if it's, if it's as clear in this issue, but in later issues it becomes very clear. It's it's very much the the design of the of the shape of the che Guevara shirts,
3: mm-hmm. right? Yes. The exact
1: same the exact yeah. same mm-hmm. style, which yep. you know those shirts are produced by like what Hot Topic or something like that, <laughs>
3: <laughs> probably. <laughs>
2: The antithesis um, what, of the what the symbolism is.
1: Right. Exactly. I in fact they probably should have done a scene or something or had some mention that these shirts are being produced by like, I don't know, some Trask subsidiary or something.
3: <laughs> Makes sense. Um maybe Roxen that yeah. they seem to produce all the all the terrible things. Um and I, I think in the last episode we talked about like the, the love triangle and how Morrison was gonna. Sort of pivot from it. And we kind of see that here,
0: mm-hmm.
3: him starting to do that in, in this panel on that page where Gene sort of just comes out right and asks the question Did you sleep with Emma in Hong Kong?
1: And Scott gives, nope. a total, gives the worst answer nope. ever.
3: Yeah. <laughs> no, I didn't. The best, no. the best answer ever. She's <laughs> um, the best.
1: best worst me
2: awake all night. <laughs> it's such a no. tease to the audience, right? Yeah. You know, she, she kept me awake all night. That's so, uh, you know. In the it's, reader's mind, that that puts that they were up having sex all night, <laughs> but that's but it's, not what they said. So a, everyone's like, "So what did happen in Hong Kong?" We all want to know,
3: and it's such a Scott answer too, because you know he's giving it very like straightly, like it's just a factual. I, he kept, she kept me up all night, mm-hmm. right.
1: And I also, uh, going back to what you mentioned about the flu thing, again, yeah, this is a, this is a nice bit of foreshadowing to, to mm-hmm. what will happen later in Imperial when we discover the, the nano-sentinels. Mm-hmm. And especially when they say even Logan has the flu, that's a hint that this is that's something- this is, hint, no, right? this is not a regular flu.
3: Right, something, something is very wrong if, if Logan is sick.
2: Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about the introduction of Angel in this issue? I was just about yes. to pivot to that. Yes. Yeah. I love how it, depict, it depicts a uh, lower lower class. And when I say that, I, that's the wrong word. Someone from a lower socioeconomic background, right? I think, uh, mm-hmm. is probably the, the more PC way to say it. But someone that's growing up really disadvantaged. And, and it's not just like a millionaire. You know, like Warren Worthington mm. III, and well, it was great to see someone, or even like,
1: someone very well to, like from a you know a well-to-do family, like Kitty Pride or something like that.
2: Yes, you know, not even upper middle class, like say Jean Grey mm. or um or Bobby Drake or any of them really. Like it, it's the f- someone that's come from a really rough, true rough childhood, and uh, it was kind of cool to see that being you know brought what? up as the the new young ingenue you know what this kind
1: of reminds me of in a weird way um but it's not from the comics if you remember in um the x-men animated series when they show a flashback to rogue's dad kicking her out
0: mm-hmm.
1: i'm not sure if you guys remember that scene but it does kind, kind of, of it, it reminds me that is a it's like a much more sanit, it's a much more sanitized version of this right like the the big you know burly lower class dad discovering his daughter's a mutant and then kicking her out
3: I I really liked for like how this angel is sort of the the anti ingenue in a way. Like I, I yeah. feel like that adds a lot of new interesting layers and textures to the world. Like she is so okay. I like the opposite of all of these of the of the kinds of characters we've seen in this trope of the ingenue. Um all for the reasons you guys have already said, but also her powers. <laughs> Like it's not a clean, like schnazzy, like, you know, Kate can face through walls and that's cool and Jubilee <laughs> yeah. has fireworks. Like she has to go into this very Cocooned. like Cronenbergian cocoon and emerge out of it and right out of it, she spits acid and her wings are very deafening and it's not cute. That I think that's the that's the best way. It's not cute. And yeah. that's well, why I like it. Continuing it on anti-cute. With,
1: continuing on with that not cute thing. I mean, she's not the the pixie girl right like no not. she's not not kitty pride she's not jubilee right she's you know Mm -hmm. she's got she's curvy she's she's got a little bit of a belly and all that and i love that yeah yes
2: it was so cool to have a different body different body type with one of the x-men they're supposed to be diverse but they've all got six pack they've all got big breasts Mm. they're all beautiful even the ugly ones like we were saying with uh, nightcrawler and beast they're all beautiful whereas angel was not she wasn't you know She, but that made her beautiful
1: well even in this scene especially with the the wings starting to emerge like these as boils on her back like that's just mm-hmm. again going back to that idea of this being such a visceral run and even here with the the smoke rising up from the from the boils on the back
3: and Although it it is very cool how I mean she's just starting out right I mean she has no idea what she's doing and I mean ultimately she couldn't get away from the human but I I mean for a little bit there I thought she was doing a good job right like she she was using her powers the best she can um, well
1: yeah it's very reactive and it makes yeah, it it's very yeah it's done in a very good way um, but I love the fact that they show that she's not a master of her powers right away like mm-hmm. she's flying for right. the first time and she doesn't she doesn't know how to control how to fly
2: i love how it shows the panel where she goes to fly off into the sky and then the very next page she's stuck in power lines mm-hmm.
3: you know as, instead of just flying mm, off into the distance as i think we all would be i i can imagine yeah. like yeah um and the, the beautification is kind of interesting, and I, I don't really think this next thing has any point at all, but it, it's interesting how, like, in first class, we this character is adopted, and they also beautify, I mean, because she's Zoe Kravitz. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and even the boils in the back are are gone, and it's replaced by this sort of very sensual, like cool this way and, right in which well, her she is come out. she's
2: literally pixie eyes right yes i was just thinking then it literally just come up into my head uh, this depiction of a tr- character that's grown up in the trailer park have we seen that before was boomer or boom 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 yeah she was did we actually see that though
1: I don't know if we ever saw her upbringing. I, I was never a big New Mutants reader. I do remember an Extinction Agenda. They had um, there. There was a TV crew that had interviewed her father, and he was like being interviewed from a trailer park.
2: Yeah, I think in the issue where um Sabretooth gets loose and eviscerates Psylocke, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite issues of X Men. Actually, um, that he teases her about growing up in a trailer park. Yeah, it's always, yeah. always alluded to, but here we actually see. You know the alcoholic father the derelict house the abuse the the fact that the mother's saying well she's he's not angel's not your daughter anyway so mm-hmm. don't worry about it um there's so much uh, to mine from just that one scene it tells us a lot about
3: angel
0: yes yeah
3: and and now that you mentioned that i i think i also appreciate now more how this particular character she she's not going to be that kind of model minority person right she's got she's not going to be like the fine upstanding she's just like you except she's a mutant okay like Mm -hmm. white picket fences (laughs) and everything but it's okay because she's just like you right she's she's not coming
1: from the cosby show
3: no she's not which i i really appreciate and i think another reason to really enjoy the sequence.
1: And then uh, here we got the introduction. Well, not the introduction, but like the first real confrontation between Sublime and the X-Men.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: what do you guys think about the sequence of him talking with Scott and, G- and
2: Emma? I enjoyed th- them. Re- oh, go
3: ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, what do you think, Pat? I want to hear what you've got to say first. I really like the reversal because you you go into the sequence thinking like... Why is this, why are they even talking? This, this dude poses no threat to these A-listers. This is going to be mopped up fairly quickly. Um, But little do we know that he has a hidden weapon sitting in, sitting in his desk drawer. Um, So I I really enjoyed the reversal and like the the sudden tension of it, where it sort of goes from a, uh, this is a surefire win to, oh, there's, there's an actual danger um happening here and, and poor emma being concerned about her nose was very, like very delicious to think of course like that would be her concern at this very moment Is this finely manicured nose and now that it's broken
2: i love the right the ba- the background where it's got the evolution right of mm-hmm. the the evolution um art mm-hmm. Cor- corporate art um going from the little fish thing to the walking on land to standing up and then to flying. Uh, that was quite cool. And the brain in the desk, pretty hard to top. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I also pretty like, hard to top. Um,
1: I like what sublimes, I, w- I want to talk about his speech here. I really like what mm-hmm. he's saying because this is kind of touching on some of the things we we've been mentioning here, right? Why should evolution be for the few, the, the strutting genetic elite in their skin tight outfits and bikinis can't we all be elite right so that whole idea which again is kind of exemplified in a way it's a nice contrast to what his people are doing to to angel in the scene right before this where you know angel is that imperfect person and she is someone who's not going to be you know strutting around in skin tight outfits and bikinis um or at least if she was it wouldn't be considered as appealing
3: And. It- I think it's another moment of Morrison being such a prescient writer, like we see the tech bro before there was ever such a thing as like the Silicon Valley tech bro. Exactly. here he is, and his name is sublime.
1: You're absolutely right. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. But yeah, he's very much this type of guy who, you know, believes, uh, you know, we can use technology to make a better world. You know, it doesn't matter who we have to step on to get there.
3: Right. All that matters is that IPO, mm-hmm. right? Um, how we get there is irrelevant.
1: And I think this kind of, and again, I have mentioned this before when we talked about the annual, but this is one of the things that does kind of disappoint me about Sublime is that we didn't see more of this type of character here. Like after this arc, he very quickly pivots into the, you know, we find out about the super virus stuff and all that. And I really wish we could have seen more of the, the U men concept.
3: Um, I agree. I think it has a lot more mileage, and and I wish someone would bring it back, particularly right now, mm-hmm. because I feel like this type of baddie dovetails very nicely with all of the new concepts that they're playing with um, in the Krakowian era, right? About how humans sort of hack themselves and experiment on themselves to put them on a, on the same playing field as mutants, and that's the human right that's the concept right there i think the
2: u men have been used haven't they they would they were, you know they're in a recent comic
1: oh were they i'm, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm only up as far as uh ten of swords i only just but, read that oh time.
2: okay they're, they're they're featured as villains in the um children of the atom series oh okay yeah. I, I haven't All checked right. that
1: out yet i don't think that's out in okay. trade form yet
2: I don't know whether I would rec I actually I do know I wouldn't recommend it oh, okay. as Fair a enough. great read. Okay. Um, that's all I'll say. Okay. Um, but they are they are in in there, but it's not really used very well. It's almost like a an offhand. We just need mm-hmm. a nondescript. Like it, it, it really like it could have been used a, a bit better. And I echo what you guys have said that it's a super interesting concept. It has a lot of mileage. It's not being fulfilled, but I also mm-hmm. really like the idea of the villain um, archetype being. Um, Tony Robbins mm-hmm. but I'd like to see one like Mark Zuckerberg yeah. yes or,
1: I, I'm surprised we
2: haven't gotten one yet for sure why is that that's it's rife for the taking
3: um and and I'm kind of tired of seeing the same um evil CEOs in the Marvel universe like I think it's time to introduce a new uh baddie corporate person into the mix
1: yeah yeah would okay um Oh, I also love this line here. How dare you accuse me of bigotry? You master race type sicken me.
2: Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. What do you guys think of Emma's nose getting broken with that shot? It's um, I, I thought the blood coming out of the nose was quite realistic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, overdone or too much. It's actually quite a little bit of blood, but that, that makes it look more real.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I love that. I hate- That's one of the visceral images again.
3: I think there's enough to make the reader feel like how painful it is without slipping into like overly gratuitous territory Mm -hmm, um and and see the the discovering new things I I like the focus on the nose because I think that comes back later right where we find out where the flaw is in her diamond structure oh
1: you're right I never even
3: and it's in her nose (laughs)
1: That's a good point. I never had picked mm-hmm. up on that before. Yeah, and I agree with what you guys said. Like that, that is, it's a very visceral visceral image. And um and it really like, you know, wounds like this most of the time in superhero comics, they tend to be just um dwelled upon that much, but here it carries over into the next issue and then as pat just pointed out later on in the run as a whole like it's permanent damage actually mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: that's the first time i think we've ever really seen something like that happen
2: in i like the next comic yeah mm-hmm. i like it i think it's cool i think it's it, again, gives it, it sorry, grounds it and make it, it goes to that thing. That, even though we're speaking about something so bombastic as mutant bodies being um vivisected and grafted onto other people, you know, it's these crazy concepts, but then Morrison brings in how much a broken nose would actually impact and hurt and how long lasting it would be it grounds it.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. It grounds it. And it, that's,
2: that's one of the things Morrison
1: does really well is by taking these really out there concepts, but finding small ways to, to ground them in some form of reality so like the broken nose lasting over and then being the flaw in her diamond form Mm um you know if there was a if there was really a master if there was really a race of mutant people obviously there would be humans who wanted to become mutants that that makes sense then there makes sense there would be some uh new age grifter who would come along to exploit that all right and then you guys think
2: of the final page how um foreboding it is and how I've never seen Wolverine's claws used in such a simple way, but showing so much.
1: I agree. I was going to say the same thing. I really like, uh, I mean, again, here, here we have, again, although I don't like the how they're drawing him like too much like Hugh Jackman. I do love this, this panel of him sitting on the bike. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: then, um, and, and then this line, you know, Logan gives to Gene, he was like, you just, stay out of my mind for a while because you're not going to want to see what comes
3: next. Um, it, it's a nice uh, bookend because we started the issue with sort of that perspective from someone's hand. And now mm-hmm. we end the issue. With oh, Logan's that's a good point. Hand, yeah. Right. Sort of now clenched. It, it's a nice play on that contrast to bookend the, the installment.
1: Yeah. And I, and I do agree with you, Oscar, like this is a really effective, uh, effect. I'm not sure if it was Oscar or Pat who said this, sorry, uh, but uh, this effective use of the claws and just this simple silent, like no snicked, right? No sound effect nope. or anything. Yep. It's just like the just lightning t- flashing in the background, the water flying off the the claws. It's just a very, and as much as I love the snicked, like I, this is, I can't argue with how, <laughs> I can't argue with how effective this is in this panel.
2: Mm-hmm. It's true. We, we love a good snicked. But um, yeah, just this, I think the fact that there's lightning and rain in the background as well, which is movement, but his hand, Mm -hmm. pardon me, his hand is so still.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. It shows like, you know, he's like, you are, you're going to get it. My dad used to say something to me like that when I was a kid, if I was mucking around, if I was mucking up, you know, some parents say, um, I'm going to count to three. Mm -hmm. One, two, three. My dad would say to me, if I have to get up, and that's it. He wouldn't say anything else. He didn't <laughs> need to finish the sentence. And that's like Wolverine saying, "If I have to get up, you guys are going to get it."
3: But there's, there's also, I think, like just there. I mean, there's some lines in there to sort of like evoke kind of a, a slight vibration. Like he's sort of yeah, bringing right. to, to for some violence. Like if someone's going to get hurt. But uh, well, we already knew that. Probably yeah. but hurt I, I think, really bad.
1: I agree. It, it's it's like this. I think um his hand it the in a weird way it, the the motion lines help you get the feeling that the hand is vibrating because of the mm-hmm. claws coming out, but that otherwise the hand itself, like his fingers and all that, are very stiff.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And just like you get the sense that this is a this is a really heavily clenched hand.
2: The rage is visible.
1: Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and in just the hand, like that's a that's a really um that's a really great way to depict it here. Okay. Um, any final thoughts about the, well, before we close up, I actually want to say, what are your guys overall thoughts uh, on Angel as a character? Like beyond just the whole idea of her, her conception and being this different type of mutant than we've seen before, just overall her character. What did you guys think, think about her?
3: Uh Pat, you go first. Um, I really enjoyed her depiction. I thought her arc within Morrison's run was very well done. Um, I, I really enjoyed her development from where we see her first to where she ends up at the end. Um, I do wish that other writers, and Ed Brisson kind of did this recently in New Mutants, found a way to incorporate her. But I I do wish other writers um, have been able to run with her and sort of elevate her profile, but it could still happen, but I don't think it's happened yet.
2: I, upon my first reading, I hated the character. I really, really, really didn't like her. I was still, you know, I was like, Oh, I'd rather read stories about Husk. And um (laughs) and skin and the generation x kids instead of this you know vile girl but she was supposed to be unlikable Mm -hmm. and she was supposed to be you know the opposite of jubilee who you know everyone fell in love with straight away but now upon rereading i i'm liking that she's kind of the anti-hero of the students instead of the the lovable one so i've i've appreciated her more now in my older oh, yeah. age than I did when I was younger and I agree it'd be kind of cool to see more done with her or, or even their kids mm-hmm. um she's a bit of a spoiler there um but anyway yeah I, I would like to see more of her now
1: I it um is, sorry go ahead Pat
3: I it is rather unfortunate I think that she and Beak. okay spoiler sorry everyone if you haven't read it I, 20, year, <laughs> I can't 20 years if you're <laughs> But they, I, it's unfortunate. I think she and Beak sort of fell into the trap of they got married and they got kids, and now we don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> sort of trap, right?
1: I mean, I, I like what Morrison was trying to do with her, and I think he does succeed um, for the most part. I do, but just overall, you know, she just never really appealed to me much as a character. I never found her that interesting, even though I can respect what Morrison was doing here.
3: I feel like Morrison had a particular purpose for her, which she served in this run, and so I think the task might be for other writers is to sort of maybe have her pivot to something else in in an organic way. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, not just giving her a new identity and uh, mm-hmm. and a you know suit of armor and making her join the new warriors. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it wasn't successful. That's yeah. another spoiler. It wasn't successful. That is, that no, is not no, what I would call not. organic. No. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, any final thoughts about one uh, eighteen?
2: No, not really. I think I've um, verbalized everything I can say about it. Um, excited. It was a good. <laughs> a good second arc beginning i think and um i wanted to see more about mr evil tony
3: robbins mm-hmm. i look forward to talking about the rest of the upcoming issues um i thought it was, a, it was a very good installment i enjoyed being reintroduced to sublime again um angel's debut was fantastic and uh Emma reacting to a broken nose, or just anything about her nose in general, is is always a fun time for me.
1: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to when we talk about the next issue when she goes when she goes off on him about the nose. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, I mean, this is it's it's a really good introduction to Sublime and the U-Men or, or reintroduction because we saw them in the annual um although the nice thing here is that if you hadn't read the annual you won't feel lost here like they do a good job of still reintroducing them Mm -hmm. um and uh yeah like the the way they depicted the art and like you know wolverine's claws at the end like we said and just the the different little aspects here it's a good issue um it it definitely shows that we're shifting to another type of of storytelling here another type of we're moving beyond just the Cassandra Nova stuff, but it's still staying in the background. Mm-hmm. So I like that that they that Morrison's not there's no navel gazing, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like it's there this this Cassandra Nova stuff is still there, it's still in the background, but he's not gonna dwell on it and just try and tread water until it's time for her to come back.
3: Right. She needs time, she needs time to do her thing. And she needs she time, empire, yeah. She right? needs time to, yeah.
1: you know, corrupt the landra and all of that. Mm-hmm.
3: It's a big space empire. It just doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't. It doesn't. No. No.
1: no. Okay, guys. Um, you want to tell people, uh, you want to plug anything for the listeners?
2: Guys, okay, you can see my ramblings on Twitter at ODAT220.
3: Um, and you can check out my Tumblr, Perfect Fabric j Killing Machine. Um, and be on the lookout for my other podcasts, Grakoan Exports, which should be coming out soon.
1: And as always, I'm at PercivalConstantine.com for all my books, uh, artwork, all that kind of stuff you can find there. And um, for this show, eforevolution.transistor.fm. And we're at Xpod on both Twitter and Instagram. So please make sure to follow us there. And if you like the show, please give us a review or you can also email us any comments you have, eforevolutionpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back next time to talk about Uh, 119
0: part two of germ-free generation e for
1: evolution examining grant morrison's x-men is produced by percival constantine with theme music by aaron kenny audio of grant morrison and stan lee was recorded at san diego comic-con 2008 and provided by bravogabo.livejournal.com you can find E for Evolution on Twitter and Instagram at MorrisonXPod and on the web at eforevolution.transistor.fm. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email address is eForEvolutionPodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Support the show by leaving us a review at Apple Podcasts, which helps us reach more listeners. Special thanks to the members of the House of X Facebook group for their encouragement in getting this show started.